0: Episode 2, A War on People. Before we begin this week's episode, I'd like to take a moment to honor all the brave men and no women who've served our great nation during America's ongoing drug war. Our Commanders-in-Chief. The Self-Medicated Podcast salutes you. Richard Nixon. America's public enemy number one is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy... It is necessary to wage a new all-out offensive. Gerald Ford. I have directed all agencies of the federal government to step up law enforcement efforts against those who deal in drugs. Ronald Reagan. In this crusade, let us not forget who we are. Drug abuse is a repudiation of everything America is. George H. W. Bush. All of us agree that the gravest domestic threat facing our nation today is drugs. Bill Clinton. Saying to prisoners, if you stay on drugs, you have to stay behind bars. George W. Bush. If you're buying illegal drugs in America, it is likely that money is going to end up in the hands of terrorist organizations. Barack Obama. I don't think that uh, legalization of drugs is going to be the answer. And Donald Trump. The only way to solve the drug problem is through toughness. And that toughness includes the death penalty. Mm. Yes. Thank you for your service, gentlemen. (laughs) War. It's fantastic. Oh, and uh, don't think I forgot about Jimmy Carter. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. God bless that son of a peanut farmer. (laughs) When we talk about harm reduction, oftentimes we're talking about public health interventions like syringe exchange programs, overdose prevention kits, or safer consumption sites. But what really inflicts a shit ton of harm on people who use drugs in America is our federal drug policy. I believe the great Louise Vincent, head of the National Drug User Union, said it best. I ask people all the time, do you have a drug problem or a drug policy problem? Plenty of days I got drug policy problems. Ain't that the truth. We're coming up on the 50-year anniversary of the modern war on drugs here in America, and what a bipartisan bloodbath it's been, huh? You know, it's estimated that up to 60 million people in the U.S. have used an illicit substance at some point in their lives. Now, that's self-reported use. Based on my experience, I'd say it's even higher than that. But we're at least talking about a quarter of the population having used some sort of illegal drugs. Which might lead you to think the war on drugs has been an epic fail. Well, if the point of the whole thing is to protect Americans from doing drugs, then sure, the government's definitely failed on that front. Only that ain't what it's about now, is it? The war on drugs is really a war on people. Always has been. I mean, when President Nixon launched this new all-out offensive back in the summer of 1971, he said drug abuse was public enemy number one. But you know, they don't call him tricky dick for nothing. (laughs) So, what was the real target of the drug war? And who were Nixon's real public enemies? Well, here's writer Dan Baum talking about an interview he did back in 1994 with John Ehrlichman, one of Nixon's closest confidants. The Nixon White House had two enemies, black people and the anti-war left. John Ehrlichman was Richard Nixon's drug policy advisor. He said, and we knew that if we could associate heroin with black people and marijuana with the hippies... We could project the police into those communities, arrest their leaders, break up their meetings, and most of all, demonize them night after night on the evening news. And he looked me in the eyes and said, did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. So you see, Nixon was a lot of things. Well, I'm not a crook. Yeah, he was. But he wasn't a dummy. He knew damn well you can't just bomb drugs off the face of the earth. He also knew his American history— Criminalizing drug use has long been used as a tool of oppression in this country. In fact, America's first law banning a non-alcoholic drug went into effect in 1875 when the city of San Francisco cracked down on opium. The chief of police at the time said it was all they could do to keep the Chinese from operating opium dens where whites might resort to smoke in. Let me tell you something, chief. It's been about 150 years now, and in my experience, whites, such as myself, can smoke opium pretty freely in the parking lot of fish concerts all over the country. So if you were actually trying to crack down on the drug, you failed. But of course, it ain't about drugs, it's about people. Like in the early 1900s during the Mexican Revolution, when officials in Texas and Louisiana demonized marijuana by linking it to violence and dangerous immigrants who were crossing the border from Mexico. And yet these days we got predominantly white-owned dispensaries making a mint off the sale of legal weed all over the country. So it looks like that wasn't about drugs either. Must have been about people. Then in 1914 came the first piece of federal anti-drug legislation. The Harrison Narcotics Tax Act regulated both opiates and cocaine and was signed into law by America's 28th President Woodrow Wilson. As we all know, President Wilson was a sympathizer of the Ku Klux Klan, and the dudes who drafted the Harrison Act are on record saying it was designed to control, quote, cocaine-crazed sex-mad Negroes, degenerate Mexicans smoking marijuana, and Chinamen seducing white women with opium. So! I think it's fair to say that right out of the gates, America's drug war wasn't a crusade against chemical substances. Oh no. It was an all out assault on marginalized human beings. And all that history leads us to the Controlled Substances Act of 1970, which included the formation of the Federal Drug Enforcement Agency, the old DEA. And it was signed into law by President Richard Milhouse Nixon. I've earned everything I've got. You sure did, you tricky fucking dick. Now, I was born into Reagan's America and raised on a shit sandwich of Bush Clinton. So the anti-drug messaging that was drilled into my head went a little something like this. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Pills! You mean you really are taking drugs? Ah! This is filmed on location with the men and women of law enforcement. Just say no to drugs. This is crack cocaine. It's as innocent looking as candy, but it's turning our cities into battle zones. If you want to keep your freedom, you must stay free of drugs. Hey, Slick Willie, this you? I experimented with marijuana a time or two and I didn't inhale. Like I said, it was the Nixon administration that set the table for the modern war on drugs back in the 70s. But in the 80s and 90s, Reagan, Bush, and Clinton really took this shit to another level. Specifically, the anti-drug legislation that was passed from 84 to 94 continues to haunt us to this day. I'm no civics expert, but I know how a bill becomes a law in America. Before it makes its way to the president's desk, it's got to have bipartisan support in Congress and be endorsed by the wealthy elites who actually run this country. And then it's signed into law by the sitting president. Speaking of anti-drug laws, bipartisan congressional support, endorsements from wealthy elites, and sitting U.S. presidents, how about Scranton Joe Biden, huh? (laughs) The man's a five-star general in the war on drugs slash war on people. But hey, you don't got to take my word for it. He loves tooting his own horn. Every major crime bill since 1976 that's come out of this Congress, every minor crime bill, has had the name of the Democratic senator from the state of Delaware, Joe Biden, on that bill. It's 1986. Congress has passed over 230 new or expanded penalties for drug and criminal offenses in this United States. I am the proud sponsor of or the shameful father of 2,000 pages of tough legislation. You know, Joe, I'd say shameful father is probably the best way to describe your role in the drug war. And since you're the one currently sitting in the big boy chair, we got a whole episode coming up that's dedicated to you. But until then, I want to leave folks with this classic Biden metaphor, because it really stuck with me after I heard it for the first time. Every president for the past two decades has declared war on drugs. What we need is another D-Day, not another Vietnam now, when somebody like, say, Jeff Sessions expresses his feelings on people who use drugs, he's pretty straightforward. Good people don't smoke marijuana. He's a laughably ignorant asshole, but at least he's a straight shooter. But when Biden says, What we need is another D-Day, not another Vietnam. What does he mean by that exactly? Let's mull it over for a couple of weeks. We'll come back to it. In the meantime, I'll share one of my personal drug-related scrapes with the law I had back when I was a senior in high school. First, I got arrested by the state police for underage drinking and criminal trespass at a kegger in the backwoods of central Pennsylvania. I got put on probation for it, and my P.O.'s name was Matt Skrepnek. Officer Skrep, they called him. Guy's a 6'7", 300-pound hard ass, and for six months, he'd randomly show up at my high school, pull me out of class, and force me to piss in a cup so he could test for drugs. Now, aside from a large, grown man literally watching urine come out of a scrawny teenager's penis under threat of incarceration, here's what really stuck in my craw about this whole ordeal. Officer Screp fucked me on a technicality, because I didn't have a lawyer there to tell me that I could and should admit to any previous drug use before the initial test I had to take. Turns out, if I just went on record and told him about all the weed I'd been smoking, I would have had a few weeks to whiz that THC out of my system. But when Officer Screp called me to the front office at school and hovered over my shoulder in the principal's private bathroom to watch me go pee-pee, he failed to inform me of that option. I guess I shouldn't hold it against him. He is an officer of the court and not a human being, after all. Also, quick side note, my P.O. Matt Scrapneck, has an older brother, Greg. He was an offensive lineman in the NFL for a few seasons. And after Big Screp's football career was over, he returned home to dive into the historically filthy political arena of Pennsylvania coal country. He ran a successful campaign for Luzerne County Commissioner that was all about fighting drug abuse and crime on a tight budget. Uh, A few years after Lil Screp hauled me off to the Luzerne County Juvenile Detention Center for a hot piss, the feds hauled Big Screp off for a whole lot more than that. The two-term commissioner tumbled in light of federal charges. This is, of course, not just any county commissioner. This is Greg Skrepnack, all-American football player, star lineman in the NFL, and most recently, disgraced political leader in his home county. And listen, if you think I'm being petty here by airing my old P.O.'s brother's dirty laundry, well, think again, because nobody likes a bootlicker, all right? And Screp went down on bribery charges. He was getting those big paws greased by some of the most predatory scumbums in town. So fuck them. Anyhow, after my first court-ordered drug test comes up positive for marijuana, these fascist pigs throw me in the county juvenile detention center. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I did hard time or nothing. I mean, sure, the guards were a salty bunch, but as long as we stayed out of their hair all day, they let us watch a movie before lights out. Granted, their VHS selection was pretty limited. They had The Lion King, Angels in the Outfield, Gone with the Wind, and New Jack City. Which means you know we're watching Nino Brown every goddamn night. Six your $5 ass down before I make change. Then, after I do my soft time, Luzerne County Judge Mark Shivarella sentences me to six months probation. And if you're not familiar with the man, let me tell you, he's always been a hard ass. This was the campaign commercial he ran for judge on. As judge, if given the opportunity to try a juvenile offender as an adult, I will. If you're a teen, you can expect that I will impose the maximum sentence allowed by law. Mark Shivarella, a judge to protect all of us. But I'm very fortunate my hearing's in the fall of 99, because shortly afterwards, the dishonorable Judge Mark Shivarella starts accepting millions of dollars in bribes from privatized juvenile facilities to hand out excessively long sentences to underage defendants. Former Luzerne County Judge Mark Chivarella faces charges tonight. Prosecutors say he ruined countless young lives, sending children to jails in return for cash. $2.6 million in kickbacks. Chivarella's kangaroo court kept those for-profit cells full, and his kickbacks poured in for years. The infamous Kids for Cash scandal destroyed thousands of families in Pennsylvania before that rotten bastard was finally indicted. But as I mentioned before, I used to be the announcer of a late night talk show on live television, so I made sure the people got the last laugh. Oh, looks like it's last call for your old buddy Murph, so let me leave you with these words of wisdom. May the road rise to meet you, may the wind be always at your back, and if you get arrested in Luzerne County, may you never go in front of Judge Mark Shiverella. rotten hell you filthy pig. But again, I want to stress just how lucky I was in this situation, because first off, I'm a white dude, so whatever run-ins I've had with the law, I've never been in danger of being murdered indiscriminately by the cops. Second, I just so happened to go in front of the old Kids for Cash man when he was still just a ball buster and not yet a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I'm not talking about you. And yeah, you are. Hmm. Now that Nixon's back, let's tie this episode up in a twisted little bow here. I told you I was on probation my senior year of high school. My last day was literally the day before graduation night for the class of 2000. I had a curfew at 7 p.m. throughout my probation. And of course, Screp was constantly popping into school to test me for drugs. And here's the rub. He used these three little strips to instantly test my urine for THC, opiates, and cocaine. That meant I couldn't smoke weed, take painkillers, or blow lines for six long months. So, I spent the home stretch of my high school career in my folks' basement... Dropping a lot of acid. Because I was able to get my hands on an entire sheet of dynamite blotter acid. They were stamped with a portrait of Timothy Leary. Because, of course, they were. And frankly, it was the best acid I've ever had. So in the months leading up to graduation, I turn on, tune in, and drop out a couple times a week. Which brings me back to Richard Nixon. Now, this may be before your time. It was before mine. But during a party at the White House in 1969, Jefferson Airplane frontwoman and psychedelic legend Grace Slick unsuccessfully attempted to spike Richard Nixon's tea with LSD. Why would you want to put LSD into the president's tea? To get him really different. It was he just, President Nixon. We got we to yeah. say that. It was President Nixon. We weren't too fond of the way he was, so we wanted him different. Any kind of different. Well, on one of the nights I'm tripping balls in my parents' basement, I map out an entire alternate universe in which Grace actually pulled that off. Nixon got dosed and experienced an ego death of historic proportions. He immediately pulled out of Vietnam, embraced communism, legalized every psychoactive drug on the planet, and humanity finally reached its full potential. At least in my mind it did. While I was up till dawn scrawling this slick Nixon fractured timeline and red sharpie all over the wood paneled walls of my folks basement. (laughs) That's right. I was the demented love child of Grace Slick and Doc Brown, and I was doing God's work down there. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. In closing, we got to abolish the DEA and end the war on drugs because it's really just a profitable war on people. And in the words of the great Nino Brown, I'm not guilty. You're the one who's guilty. Lawmakers, the politicians, all you who lobby against making drugs legal. This thing is bigger than Nino Brown. This is big business. This is the American way. That's right. Let's not forget, all prisons are for profit. It's either the state making the money or it's a private company. Either way, the power elite benefits from keeping a portion of us lower class folk locked up. Yeah, the mere threat of incarceration is meant to keep us in line and protect the status quo. And when the status quo is a capitalist nightmare that values profits over people... Well then at the end of the day money talks! Bullshit runs the marathon so see you and I wouldn't want to be here AIDS and die just too bad my senator says I can't give my sister all clean the wren she should get hepatitis and die it's just too bad.